So you're back for more, and you couldn't stay away from the eternal of hot takes. As always, guys, it's Mr. Comet number five here. You can always find me over at CMD Tower on Twitter or at my personal handle at Mr. Comet number five. I'll spell that except for the five. Be sure to catch our great Twitch streams over at our Twitch channel. Uh, but you can, of course, get all the updates at CMDTower.com. This is Chris Stag. Now I'm C Stag's Town on Twitter. And I am Brian Koval, a.k.a. Boston Roll, Boston Roll on YouTube uh, of the Eternal Glory podcast co-host and Boston Roll everywhere you want to be. Mostly Twitter, though, and YouTube. And guys, we're going to start off like we always do with the hot takes with a little legacy versus EDH discussion. And uh, let me tell you, I think this is going to be our spiciest one yet. We are talking color pie slash distribution. So to kind of level set exactly what we're talking about here, we are discussing like when you put in your deck and tapped out or goldfish and it's like, hey, this is your pip distribution. And then here is the amount of pips you can produce with your mana sources, your lands, your artifacts, your creatures, your spells, whatever. And just kind of how that ratio works, because you would think conventionally it would just be even Stevens. If I got 50% uh, mono black, 50% mono blue, that's how my mana is going to be. Not always the case. Bosch and Roll, kind of talk to us a little bit how Legacy deals with their color pie and maybe how we could take some of those tricks over to the EDH town. Uh, yeah, you said this was going to be a hot discussion, and I think you're on it. This is like comparing apples to squirrels. Like, it's not even in the same universe. Like, this, the 100-card deck, singleton format, versus a 60-card deck where you get four of all your best lands if you want them. And then Legacy, the fetch land, dual land mana base, facilitating ponder, brainstorm, sometimes preordain. Like, we cheat so hard on mana. A lot of Legacy <laughs> decks, we're talking 18 lands. Uh, the best deck in Legacy is a Delver plays 19 lands, and they went up from 18 in order to accommodate Mystic Sanctuary, which is a tech land where they can... They can afford to do. They're playing 19 lands. Four of them are Wasteland, which don't functionally tap for mana because most of their cards don't involve colorless mana. Oh, yeah. And then they also have this tech land that only works if you already have three islands in play. And <laughs> all of that fits into 19 lands due to the redundancy of Ponder, Brainstorm, Dragon's Rage Channeler, the selection, like taking peeks with Delver, Mishra's Bobble. It's messed up over here, man. It's a very different world. And... On the flip side of that, like there's the control decks and lands based decks where sometimes to keep up with is it Delver and the raw card advantage selection of that, you got to play four or five colors in your control deck because three colors just don't keep up anymore. And then we got to figure that out too. Yeah. And, you know, even like on the EDH side, as like maybe your resident EDH old head here. I can tell you that like some of these tools that like them kids have nowadays, like we didn't have before. So it's just <laughs> like, well, we had we have to play like 36 lands. We're just gonna play all the best ones. So here's all my dual lands, here's all my fetch lands. Like this is probably gonna work out. And to be honest, like when I make a mana base for like a five color deck anymore, it's still that. Just like, oh, here's all the best lands. I can probably cast all my spells off of this. Yeah, Chris, uh, Chris is one of the few people on the earth who's played EDH longer than me. And I think the only person who's played longer than Chris is Sheldon. So like, uh, <laughs> like that's really the the timeline here. Like I, I got in in like 07 
Chris was probably like 05, and I think the format was like, birthed in like 04. It was like 03 or 02. Oh, really? Maybe. Okay. Yeah, super long. Yeah, so like cards like Command Tower, Arcane Signet, were like, are you kidding me, children? Yeah, you get this? <laughs> yeah, uh, it, a lot of the old head EDH players just owned one of each dual land because you needed them. Yeah, you know, it's so funny you guys kind of talk about it that way. So I've only ever been an EDH player because I don't consider the type two kitchen table jank I was doing in high school. Um, And I I kind of wrote down some of the notes of how I approach it. And I'm curious, you know, with your guys' thought process around this, you know, we have an old EDH head, we have an old legacy head, and we have me, the young kid on the block, uh, not that young. So... Like, when I think of monocolor decks, I think most people, when they're building a deck, they're just like, oh, well, that's the easiest one ever. Just all forests or all mountains. I would argue when you're in monocolor, wouldn't you guys agree that only 75% of your mana producing sources probably need to produce the color? The other 25% could probably be colorless. And you go for your burst with Ancient Tomb, Soul Ring, Mana Crypt, Monolith uh, of, of any varietal, um, or even like your utility strip mines and stuff. Um, that's really kind of how I've started to adjust it because I've just noticed that at least in my one color decks, I don't really need to have every single thing produce that color. Yeah, you hit on something there. I don't really have a heuristic about like 75% is the optimal number or anything. You probably have put more thought into that than I have. I would I would generally trust your numbers. They sound reasonable. But if you look at a, a legacy deck like Death and Taxes, famously mono white weenies, somehow just top of the legacy heap. Uh, it has been actual S tier tier one in, in runs. Sometimes it drops down to like tier 1.5, but it's always there. This is a deck with 18 basic planes in it and Thalia guardian of Thraben, like uh, competing with dark ritual and show and tell and Merc tide region. And, and this deck stays in and a deck like that. It's constantly evolving its mana base. Cause you're like mono white, easy game, right? But then one of the most potent white lands in Legacy is Caracas. Banned in EDH, but we get that. Yep. Uh, it fends off a lot of enemy things. You can protect your own Thalia with it and like get these cool little loops where you bounce your Thalia with Caracas, then Violet right back in through Aether Vial, and it's like unkillable. And so, But Caracas is a legendary land. How many legendary lands can you play the same copy of in your mana base before it runs out? Then there's Rashadden Port, there's Wasteland, there's sometimes Urza Saga is in the Yorion version of Death and Taxes. It's it gets kind of heavy, and you really have to balance your white pips, legendary lands that don't step on each other. It's really bad when you only have colorless sources. So <laughs> there's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, I think, and I think like your heuristics are probably about right. And I think that's one of the strengths that you get by playing monocolor. Obviously, like you lose access to more spells. Uh, but you do gain access to like your mana base working harder for you, which I think is a big like weak spot for a lot of uh, new to EDH deck builders is like trying to like leverage utility out of your your lands. Uh, although I think that there is like some nuance that would probably be deeper than we can get into here. But like things like, like one thing I'll bring up for folks to consider is there are some situations like if you're building mono black, like you need lots of swamps because the strength of that is going to be leveraged into tutoring and finding like your cabal coffers and stuff like that, which you which puts a restriction on your deck building that doesn't exist otherwise, and that can bleed over into other monocolor combinations also. So that that's super interesting about the monocolor side. But as I started to kind of like look at my own decks 
and kind of look at my philosophy, I noticed when I got to two color, it was about 45% per color would be my mana producing. So I only was allotting for about 10% of non-color specific. Then once I got to three color, I pretty much had a very even distribution. I didn't have a whole lot of what I would call utility colorless producing sources. And then when I got to four to five color, I had none. There, there was literally zero because it's like like you kind of talked about. You kind of have to run all 10 fetches, all 10 abers, all 10 shocks, command tower. Like you kind of need a forbidden orchard, exotic orchard. You kind of need every way to produce every color. And so would you guys agree with that? That as you get more and more colors in the deck, the less utility you're able to put in and take out colors. Absolutely, because... At that point, your spells are working harder. You don't need your lands to work so hard because your spells are just better. That's the color pie, literally as Garfield intended. A gold card should be more powerful than a single color card that costs the same total mana value. And uh, like you said, uh, my my Corval deck, uh, Jund, three color, I have Carekeep and Dust Bowl that don't produce colored mana in that entire deck. There's two. I have a high land count. And both of those are intensely thematic because they create things to sacrifice or they sacrifice. And even those I look at, I'm like, maybe this should just be another basic. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our legacy versus EDH color pie discussion. Before we go over to our next thing, we would love for you to check out our amazing patron community, patreon.com slash CMD tower. We do have multiple tiers on there. Uh, from anywhere from a dollar on up, really anything you guys could do to help support us on a monthly basis helps us bring on new uh, members to the team. It allows us to improve the gear that we have. And as you guys all know, me and Tuck, at least, will be going to Magic 30 in Vegas. Um, and so that's going to enable us to be able to do little giveaways. I was, I, I was thinking that we were going to maybe, you know, copy a little bit of what Gavin did uh, back in Magic Vegas. Gosh, that was like four years ago. But do a scavenger hunt ar- around the convention center and just get some sweet CMD Tower swag. So just remember, patreon.com slash CMD Tower. Now for this next section, we're going to get into how us commander players can maybe learn a little bit from the legacy side and being able to counter particular troublesome metas. And today we're going to start with blue and any other color, Affinity. Um, And before we kick it off, if you guys aren't familiar with Affinity, uh, good for you. That means your life hasn't been ruined. Um, You must have a very healthy, uh, you know, life and just uh, must be very enjoyable but for everyone else you know it basically affinity on spells or creatures says the spell costs one colorless less for each artifact you control so chris i mean what do you when you think of the blue affinity decks especially in commander like what are some like techniques and and strategies that people can do to kind of combat that because uh, especially with the amount of treasures they keep printing, it's going to get filthy real soon, real bad. Yeah, you know, I already think it has. They have decided to put Lotus Petal on every card that exists now. So it's definitely something you want to look out for. And, I, you know, I will go right to the heart of it. And I think that if you are a deck who are not playing a lot of fast mana rocks, maybe, like, especially if you're green-based and you want to counter these things, you want collector roof. You want like stony silence. You just want to shut it down. Just stop. Stop them from being able to do that stuff. 
Yep, that's where I was going to go from the legacy perspective as well. Uh, eight cast, that uh, thought cast and thought monitor. Those are the eight casts you get in legacy. That is a tier one deck. It has been since Modern Horizons 2 came out. And in legacy, we hit it like a truck. There's no, we don't just like add two disenchants to the sideboard. We're playing Meltdown. That's red X, destroy all artifacts that cost X or less. We're playing Energy Flux. That's at the beginning of each upkeep, each artifact's controller has to pay two or it dies. Like we are in there. Uh, Collector Oof. I play a lot of vintage as well, where maybe not so much the affinity mechanic, but artifacts are a thing. And entire strategies are based on their ability to main deck collector oof. You just see three of them in like bug control or uh, stony silence out of mono white or Kataki wars wage. Like you go right to the heart of it because there's no fair way to combat this. Uh, You could kind of hope they spew out and then maybe a sweeper. Like there are like the fracturing gusts, the austere commands, the farewells. There's plenty of sweepers that get those, but it, it depends on how that deck is built. If they've built with a second wave in mind at all, that might not be enough. Yeah, and to, to build on that a little bit from like the, you know, I, there's a lot of commander players who are have a lot of sensitivity to like the friendliness of their group. So, I mean, like there are definitely some other cards you can you can get in there with. Corrosion is like an oldie buddy goodie. If it sticks around, it's basically use it or lose it on treasures. Um, or uh, Energy Flux, same thing. It's going to make you know, make it so you have to use it right away or not at all. So it kind of prevents people from storing up all these mana rocks and treasures. And those are, those are other ways you can go about that. That's maybe like a little bit more manageable versus your deck doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You, you both kind of hit on, cause I, I kind of looked at this in three chunks and I'm, I'm curious if the uh, more seasoned side of this will, will kind of agree. Cause I, I found, saw some cards that I hadn't seen before. So I kind of looked at Blue Affinity this way. You have to get them to have their artifacts enter tapped just to slow them down. It doesn't actually fix Affinity because Affinity is not tapping the artifacts, and I get that. But I think you guys would both agree that uh, Affinity, the reason it's probably so dangerous is because people can crypt into this, into that, and then they're getting this. And they do still need to tap stuff to get the, the train going. Um, so I thought one that was interesting, <laughs> granted it does punish the entire table, but Orb of Dreams, very unique card that I had never heard of. Three colorless artifact permanents come into play tapped. Five yeah. bucks. Yeah, Orb of Dreams, it, that sort of effect, that's kind of an old school thing. And you can kind of get that for free on a lot of cards more recently, like uh, the Three Menathalia uh, Heretic oh, yeah. Car. Is that is that the name of that card? Yep. Uh, that causes... the. Uh, lands to come into play tapped and lands in affinity decks are frequently also artifacts because you got the Mirrodin artifact land cycle. You have the Modern Horizons 2 artifact land cycle. Uh, Treasure Vault is an artifact land. There's a lot of stuff that Thalia can hit. Uh, a card like Blind Obedience also. Uh, things come into play tapped. There's a lot of ETB tapped. Uh, trusty old uh, Kismet. Or, oh, I uh, love Kismet. Yeah. Like it's it's out there if you want to find it. If you want to take that route, there's a lot of just do a scryfall search of enter the battlefield tapped, and you're going to get a lot of options. And so that was the one chunk, and then the force to sacrifice. So you already hit on energy flux. Another interesting one. It's a little bit slower, but Molder Slug, three colorless green green creature beast four six at the beginning of each player's upkeep. That player sacrifices an artifact. The card's forty cents from Mirrodin. 
So, you know, that could be that could be one, Chris, you kind of talked about it a little bit where depending on your play group, you know, people sometimes feel like stacks pieces make the game unfun. Well, something like Mulder Slug that just slows it down one at a time. So it's probably not going to stop affinity by any stretch of the imagination, but it probably would be annoying in a, in a commander format. Yeah, um, yeah that card, powerful. It's definitely going to hit everybody, which is good. I mean, that's what you want out of your commander cards. Yep. And I want just want to tell an old man story about Mulder Slug real quick. That card was in Mirrodin, which was an artifact set. This card was unbeatable in draft and the best deck in that block constructed format was Affinity, of course, also introduced in Mirrodin. And the Affinity decks in that block constructed format were so powerful that mono green decks were designed. I believe they were called the Freshmaker at the time, back when deck <laughs> names didn't make any sense. And this deck could curve Oxidize into Viridian Zealot, into Viridian Shaman, into Mulder Slug, and still lose to Affinity. Wow. That's how messed up Affinity is. That's why we take it that seriously in Legacy, where we're like, nah, meltdown, <laughs> creeping corrosion, <laughs> fracturing gust, collector oof. This is where you need to live because just that that one for one is not going to keep up with them. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is I, I defined it as blow them to smithereens. Uh, you, can't, you, you know, we've already kind of hit on some of them, but the more popular one, Vandal Blast, everyone knows about that. Have it in there. It can help. Here's one that's that I've actually found to be more impactful from an artifact control perspective. Aura Shards. The card is bananas, guys. Colorless Silencia. So you got to pay a green and a white enchantment. Whenever a creature ETBs under your control, you may destroy artifact or enchantment. You can get a copy for about six bucks off the list. So this is the perfect kind of card that kind of like how I love run, running Ultra of the Brood in every single deck because I'm a madman. Aura Shards, outside of just Spellslinger and Planeswalker focused decks, you're probably going to get value out of that because you're probably going to play 10, 12 creatures throughout the game. Um, so this is another way I could kind of see being able to mass handle those affinity decks. Yeah, and I would absolutely agree with that. That card is the bomb. Uh, you know, us old heads have been playing with that card forever, which another old man story. I took a break from EDH for a while, you know, recently got back in in the last year or so. And I have found that people complain about that card now, which is wild to me. It's just like a removal spell that people are mad about. Yeah, that is uh, something that I've also seen floating around Twitter where uh, I just stumbled upon a thread a couple weeks ago that was like, post a picture of a card that shows that the other people at the table have a different definition of casual than you do. And the first post was dictative Erebos. And I was like, hold up. Like <laughs> this is a five mana spell that then my thing has to die to start doing anything. And a repeatable source of card advantage that affects all the players of the board is exactly how you want to build a multiplayer deck. And aura shards was also high on the list of people wow. not liking that card in this thread that I stumbled upon. And Aura Shards is just a card that I strongly associate with casual magic in my head from those like early 2000s when it was new. And like we were playing casual 60s uh, at, at the multiplayer table, like five, six people at the, the high school lunch table. That's where I was. And Aura Shards was was the bomb.com back then. And it's weird that that sort of card has uh, become persona non grata in ultra casual circles. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I don't know what's actually casual and what's not anymore because the people that scream casual are also like trying to win on turn four. So I don't really get what's going on in the world of Commander. Uh, but the last one I wanted to point out, guys, 
this is a way to instant speed interact with all the affinity stuff at once. Rampage of the Clans. It's a little sweaty because you are giving them a token for every artifact to get rid of. But three colorless green instant. Destroy all artifacts and enchantments for each permanent destroyed. This way its controller gets a 3-3 green centaur. And... I don't know. Legacy and uh, season cast. You guys tell me what's probably more scary: the affinity deck or someone with a bunch of three three centaurs. I have seen a Lana's deck kill with that card. They just make like a million clues and then they cast it and turn all their clues into three threes and get you. So if I don't they're planning play. for it, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, uh, I'd be. The instant speed is pretty exciting. Maybe you could do some political maneuvering of like. Uh, person in position two is about to kill us. I'll blow up everything for so position three suddenly has 12 power and play and can attack position two so we don't get back around the table to them. Like, there's a little play to that, but I'm pretty scared of an army of three threes as much as, uh, like if I'm if I'm playing Corvold and just have six treasures in play and someone's like, now you have six three threes, I'm like, all right, let's rumble. <laughs> uh, I would I would play a lot of cards before I reach for that one. All right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap up our counter meta discussion. Uh, before we head over to our final thing, we would love for you, as this next section is going to talk about a lot of very expensive cards, to head over to abyssproxyshop.com. And if you use code CMD Tower, that will get you 10% off your order. They offer some amazing playtest cards from anywhere from like three bucks up to like six. They do foiling, and the thing that I enjoy the most is if you type in custom into the search bar, you'll actually be able to see their catalog of thousands and thousands and thousands of playtests and proxies that they've, you know, done uh, for us, the community. You'll be able to find my Najila uh, Mystical Archive deck on there. You'll be able to find my Game of Thrones deck that I personally designed on there as well. Uh, so if you're looking to get some expensive cards but don't want to shell out the cash, abyssproxyshop.com, code CMD Tower. Now, we head over to the moment everyone was waiting for. The Council of the Unbound! Yes, we are here to look at this garbage ban list and just just talk about how poopy it is and how it's no fun and it just takes away all of our toys. And today, I am bringing before Judge Bashenroll Tinker, the fairest of Tudor cards for a measly two colorless blue. I mean, if you think about it, that's almost your entire 401k. It costs so much mana to cast this spell. You're only going to cast it on turn eight or nine. It is listed as, uh, is it really an uncommon or is that just old school? Sure is. Well, that seems a little too high. It should probably be a common. That's how trashy it is. At the time you play Tinker, a.k.a. cast this spell, you must sacrifice an artifact. Then, you get to search your library for an artifact card, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle. It is not legal in every format, except for it's banned in Legacy, banned in Commander, restricted in Vintage. You can get a copy for a cool $2.63, or for some reason they decided to print this in Mystery Boosters, for a dollar thirty-five, here, fellow councilman, judge, jury, here are the justifications on why it was banned in the first place. Uh, it's unfair. People get Sundering Titan out turn two or three. Sundering Titan's banned. Get out of here with this nonsense. 
Turn two or turn three, it's gross and disgusting, and it's hard to deal with. Force of will, counterspell, pact of negation, billion different ways. Heck, just disenchant. You can deal with stuff if you want to. Don't come at me. Plus, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Thoracle is something that people get concerned about a turn two, turn three win. They're already there. And now we're talking the upper echelon of decks. So, I mean, what do we want to compare good old Tinker to? Well, how about two mana more and we just have to go through an opponent's library with a choir. Three colorless blue blue search shark opponent's a library for an artifact. Put it on your battlefield. That's not banned. Hey guys, this thing's one mana less. Yes, it's CMC base, but transmute artifact. That's a reality. We have an expel version of this and reshape. And on the creature side, it gets me even further. Natural order. It's one more mana. So green, green, two colorless. Sacrifice a creature. Go get a green creature. Put it straight to the battlefield. Would anyone like a turn two, turn three Vorinclex? I don't think so. But that card's not banned. And then there's things like Eldritch Evolution and Neoform. But the thing I always come to when I come to this humble council, we are in a singleton format. If someone is going to mulligan down until they get Tinker, Mana Crypt, and an Island in their opening hand, then you know what? May the odds be ever in your favor. What say you? Uh, you know what? I am going to agree with you, to be honest. <gasps> because I Tinker has been banned for a long time now. And if you compare it to something that is allowed as far as like how fast can we push the engines or something like Thoracle, it is not on the level. I think, I mean, I'm sure there's something more busted that you can do, but like all the other most busted stuff you can do with this, like Sundering Titan, like uh, Time Vault, all those cards are also banned. So like the thing that, you know, most people are afraid of seeing out of this is like Blight Steel Colossus or something that dies to a removal spell. So I I would be on the I would be on the side of this card is probably okay. Like most of the most busted stuff you're gonna do with Tinker, you can do plus or minus one mana with a transmute artifact also, and we already have that. So it would be one more tutor, but this is a format full of tutors. So many tutors. Wow, Chris uh, from the top rope there coming in with a reasonable take about this unreasonable card. <laughs> I am going to make the case against. Though I do not fully dismiss Chris's point, I, I do play a quite a bit of CEDH, which is a swear word in some circles, but I promise it's just people having fun uh, in their own sandbox, and it's it's pretty great. And I've seen what those decks can do, and Tinker is not that far out of bounds of them. However, when Tinker was banned, we didn't have Bolas's at all. That thing's a heater. I'm more worried about that than I am about Blightsteel Colossus. And to counter one of each of your arguments here, the Blightsteel Colossus dies to a removal spell argument. I mean, maybe that thing's indestructible. It dies to a specific wedge of removal spells in white or blue, like you could bounce it or exile it, but black, red, and green, SOL on that one. And uh, 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 Chaos Warp, let's not put red in the corner. It has some stuff. Uh, all right, that card costs three. Good luck. <laughs> if the, the Tinker was accelerated, you're dead first. And that brings me to countering your argument of this hypothetical maniac who mulls to three and it's Island Mana Crypt Tinker. 
they're going to win the game still. They're still going to win that game. They're going to grab Bolas' Citadel or uh, like it, even like less exciting than that. Like even like something like Memory Jar could reload the hand, Wheel of Fortune, everybody load them up, getting something uh, like there's like Dragon God statue, which like makes all spells cost m- more and opponents lose life in every end step like that on turn one's messed up or even on turn three is a problem. How about possessed portal? Players can't draw cards, and at the beginning of every end step, every player has to sack a permanent or discard a card. The game just grinds into goop. That's not fun. Like it, it's not. I, I just think that less than where does the uh, I I, I want to like appeal to the the middling person who just like doesn't know any better. Like in CEDH, I think Tinker is probably inbounds because the most efficient answers are being played to counter the most efficient threats, and we're already there. What does like the five out of 10 player who is just like discovering magic for the first time. And they're like, Oh, this is a neat card. What could I, what artifacts could I pull out of my deck with this? And like, I think that person is like a chimp with a machine gun. And that is just, that's a menace to society. And I think that the average experience with Tinker will be, is not worth the risk of the, the more manageable, like at the top end people are ready. I think the people who are not ready are going to have a really bad time. So I would like to give a counter argument to your counter counter argument on that Overruled. last point. Overruled. Shit. Uh, so you said in the CEDH circles, you believe it's fine because the most efficient answers are already being played to go against the most efficient lines to win. Agreed. I think we can all agree there. Um, honestly, I think CDH shouldn't really have a ban list because everything is so freaking optimized and it's singleton. You don't have to do the restricted like you do in vintage. Just let people play what they want to play. Um, but when we go to the casual table, so as the rules committee likes to say, the 99% of commander players, because apparently CDH is only like 1%. I disagree that it's a chimp with a machine gun. And the reason is, what it what it actually is, it's a chimp with a thousand piece puzzle that they've never seen before because the players that are going to play that, that aren't playing that top tier. It's like, I could, I had see myself doing this. I get a deck, I get tinker. Oh my gosh. What am I going to get? It's turn two. Do I, do I get chromatic lantern? Do, do, do I get a sort of feasted famine? Like that's what most people are going to be going, but like, okay, say they do the literal, bomb of like Darksteel Forge. That's a pretty popular uh, casual card. All right. Their artifacts are indestructible on turn two or three. You got still got nothing else to win the game. You get Platinum Angel out turn two or turn three. Okay. We weren't going to be killing you anytime soon anyways. I really think for the casual player, the bigger or the person who has no idea what Tinker does and they're like, I don't know. I just got this pre-con. They're just going to go get the coolest artifact in there, which isn't going to be something that makes the game grind to a halt because most of them won't know the cards that you just talked about. I would say that that would start there to agree with what Brian said. And then very quickly, you know, the EDA tracks of the world would start showing them these less fun cards that they can get with Tinker and they would see them in every deck that had Tinker in them. And I think um, a fair amount of that would probably have. I will concede that Bolas Citadel was not on my radar of things, and I probably should have been thinking about that, as well as the, the Dragon Statue. Those are both pretty miserable things to happen and can't and, can't happen off of Transmute Artifact. 
Right. I am a person who plays vintage. Uh, that is one of the formats I'm actively engaged in whenever I can be. And Tinker for Bolas Citadel and Tinker for uh, like Blightsteel Colossus or Sphinx of the Steelwind, just these unbeatable creatures or just chucking your deck onto the stack are both defining interactions in the most powerful format that Magic has. And that's where we're ready for it. And it's still too a little too good. Uh, and uh, it's just going back to like the, the chimp analogy. Sorry, casuals, you're all chimps now. <laughs> uh, that, that's how we think of you from our ivory tower. That's a joke. I love casual magic. Uh, but the we went from chimp with a machine gun to chimp with a thousand piece puzzle. And I present to you the chimp who accidentally types Shakespeare. That That's sort of Chris's point where that eventually if you just, you know, throw enough banana peels at the wall, one of them's going to stick. And then you're like, oh, I have a taste for madness now. I have a taste for human blood. And then that chimp, uh, you find yourself screaming on a beach that they blew up the Statue of Liberty. And that's the trajectory of that player who gets their hands on a tinker. Uh, two points to that. One, I, I think the better analogy be instead of bananas stuck to the wall, it'd be uh, literal feces because that's what monkeys do. Then they discover how much they enjoy it. Then the chaos ensues. I, I think that's a better. But I, I've heard the bullets of Citadel and I did read that online. I do want to throw this out and I'm not diminishing what you see in Legacy. So I do, I do want to put that out. Um, bullets of Citadel and EDH because I was actually super hot on that card. Um, I really thought that thing was going to break open the format and be one of these S-tier type cards. Uh, the amount of times you end up having a land on top of your library and you can't do anything about it unless you also have Necropotence to pay the life to get it off, it actually happens a lot more than you think. So if someone turned one or turned two Bolas of Citadel, yeah, I, th I think I'd pucker up a little bit, you know, might uh, be a little uncomfortable. But I would more than likely bet that they're going to fizzle out after like the first three cards and be have nowhere to go. I think that that point harkens directly back to our conversation about Grizzlebrand, where your argument at the time was Grizzlebrand comes into play. Someone kills it in a turn cycle. You're never attacking. Yeah. You're never drawing like you're never gaining seven. And my counter argument was a player who draws 14 even if they discard seven of them and has the seven perfect cards to continue playing the game, that game is already warped. And I think Bolas' Citadel casting like five drop, six drop, three drop, hit a land or whatever, that person just jumped 16 mana ahead of the rest of the table. And maybe they hit the land, pass the turn, Bolas' Citadel gets shattered. They're up 16 mana on the table. And that is, that's fundamentally going to warp a game and maybe you get this fun arch enemy thing where like the three of everybody else gangs up on that person for coming out too fast which is a fun dynamic of commander that i enjoy but i think that tinker is in that range of cards that make it a little too easy to become the arch enemy in a way that might not be surmountable by the rest of the table yeah and the more we talk about this the more i've, I've been on a bender lately in commander about how much like mana advantage is causing you to win the game and lots of people don't analyze end game correctly about how that happened and tinker is definitely like the literal hamburglar of that problem just like stealing you six mana plus like right out of your deck and shoving it into play well let's see if we could turn this guy from a hamburglar into a ronald mcdonald of your dreams it's time for the vote of course i vote yay Purely on the aspect of there are creature versions of Tinker that I would argue are just as bad. 
There are some insanely powerful creatures out there, especially when natural order can grab gold creatures as well. Um, I, I just, I don't see with the power that we're at today, and I think we can all agree the power trajectory magic is on, that Tinker really even deserves the ban. I say unban. Chris, what say you? I'm kind of mixed on this because I definitely feel like it is a card that, given like where mana curves have fallen these days, is way less egregious than when it got banned in the first place. But after talking it through and thinking about it more, I think I'm going to stay on the side of leave that thing banned. <gasps> Judge Bosch and Roll, it comes down to you! Well, I have made my case. I... I have not been swayed, though. I believe this is the first time we've swayed a a juror in this. Everybody usually sticks to their guns from the the argument point of the the court. And I am going to keep the guns out of those hands of those chimps. Thumbs down. Well, unfortunately, Tinker, you're going back to prison. You're up there with that Dick Grizzlebrand. That all I asked him to do was put on a shirt and tie when he showed up to court. That's all I asked. Just look a little softer, look a little nicer. You know, maybe not be like, "Haha, I'll pay seven life to draw seven cards." I don't know. Tame your shit down, bro. Uh, so Tinker, we're going to put you over in that uh, isolated cell with Grizzlebrand and the Stayed Band. Well, thanks for getting sweaty with us. And remember, if you're looking for more fire content. Check out for the rest of what CMD Tower puts out. And remember, I'm Mr. Comet number five. You could find everything that I'm a part of with our channel over at our main Twitter at CMD Tower or at Mr. Comet number five, all spelled out except for the five. I'm CStags10 on Twitter. You can find things I think about and people I respond to, but mostly not much more than that. And I am, of course, Brian Bosch and Roll Koval. Find me at Bosch and Roll on YouTube and Twitter and anywhere else you want to be. And remember, cold takes are temporary, hot takes last for eternity. Mm -hmm.